0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John John Jansen. And 10 year NFL veteran, two time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, TJ Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and TJ Lang.
1: Well, TJ, we got a lot of ground to cover today because since our last podcast, the NFL schedule has been released. We're going to get into the Lions' schedule, what it means for them. Uh, I want to get from TJ a total on wins and losses. We heard his prediction last week, uh, a minimum of eight and, uh, and, and, you know, hopefully nine, maybe even 10 uh, to get into the playoffs and we'll get a chance to hear now that we see the schedule, we know what the rundown is. uh, We'll, we'll get a chance to talk about that in just a little bit, but before we do uh, some, some more news on name, image, and likeness, in the college football realm, and it was has been brought to us by Nick Saban. Um, and there's a couple of things I want to talk about in this. One, I want to get your take because I know you've been very involved at your alma mater, Eastern Michigan, in trying to move the ball down the field per se to get a you know some money in the coffers to attract some high end talent. Uh, but here's what Nick uh, Saban had to say regarding the right way to go about using NIL. And he says, our players last year created $3 million worth of opportunity for themselves by doing it the right way. I have no problem with that. And nobody had a problem on our team with that because the guys who got the money earned it. The issue and the problem with name, image, and likeness is coaches trying to create an advantage for themselves. Um, and that leads us to shocker. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and, and so here's where I really want to get your take on, on Nick Saban here. He said, We were second in recruiting last year. AM was first. AM bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. We didn't buy one player. I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. All right. So we've got in Nick Saban's world, the right way. Um, and that's probably in, in a utopic society. If you're going to have name, image, and likeness, it would be that money would go to the players who they get on campus. They have a, a great freshman season. And now all of a sudden they've done something. Their, their value is there. And it's for what they've done on the field. Do you agree with in a, in a perfect world, that's how it should be executed? It should be, yeah. But I think a big problem
2: with the NIL right now is the NCAA will tell you that you're not allowed to create this pay for play program when it comes to money, right? It right. has to be just for, uh, you know, off the field endeavors, business, adv- whatever it is, right? Advertising. Um, but let's be honest. I mean, your fourth string defensive end isn't going get, to be getting paid money, you know? So it is a, it is about the product on the field. But um, I, th- you know what? I, I had to laugh about it when I saw Nick Saban's comments just because, like, does anybody really believe him? Like, Alabama did it the right way. And, like, come yeah. on, dude. Like, he's finally complaining. I think he's complaining now because – and, look, I'm not going to throw out allegations, but – I think everything's starting to even out a little bit in the college recruiting world. And I think for a lot of people, that might make well, them uncomfortable.
1: I don't know that it's evening out. I think it's shifting. Because Texas A&M, have they ever had a recruiting class like they've gotten right now?
2: No. no. But I think it evens out in the in the, in the 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 power five schools. I think it'll allow those teams to catch up to the Alabamas, catch up to the Ohio States. And it gives you a tool to kind of skip over that two, three, four-year rebuild period where you don't have to go try to win 10 games before you start getting the big names. You can go get the big names right now. So by evening out,
1: but again, evening out means that you believe Rutgers, Indiana, Illinois, just in the Big Ten, that they can go out there, find donors that would compete with Texas A&M, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. Now, I don't know that, you know, some of those schools haven't gone about it in in the same way, but if you're talking about deep pockets and evening things out in the Power 5, you've got to include those schools as well. Yeah, no, I I why why not? I mean, I don't think
2: we're there yet when it comes to recruiting where uh this is the, you know, the, the number one um motivator for kids to decide a school i think kids ultimately still want to go to good programs and wins and play for good coaches um but if things keep going the way they're going now where it's just the wild wild west and hey you get a million hey you get two million hey you get three million that's going to become it's going to become professional right where you have to make a choice well do i want to go play at ohio state for you know nothing or do I want to go to Rutgers? They're giving me a million and a half. Like you know what I mean. You're going to have yeah. to make some tough decisions. I don't know if we're there yet because I still talk to a lot of college coaches. And um, up until this past this past recruiting class, I remember talking to one of the coaches and he, I said point blank, I said, "How many of the kids that you recruited brought up NIL?" And he said one. And we recruited, you know, we offered 30, 40 kids. We had one kid bring it up. And he was a transfer coming from a big school that, you know, wanted to play but also wanted to make a little bit of money. So that kind of told me where, um, well, you know, I don't think it's all about the money yet. But I think we are going to get there. And I think absolutely, if you're a small school, especially if you're a small, you know, a Vanderbilt, a a Rutgers in Illinois, if you have big donors that are going to come help get you big players into that program, it's going to help you. And I think that that, it, and from that sense and that point of view, I think it will help sort of even the disparity, at least from the, you know, the Alabamas of the conferences to the Vanderbilt's of the conferences. I think I think those gaps will start to close a little bit just from the the type of talent that you can now bring in with this NIL and the money that you wouldn't have been able to get these kids two three years ago. Now you actually have a chance.
1: Well, and so I w- I do want to bring up a situation because. Uh, the NCAA has tried to clarify rules that it is not supposed to come from a collective. like this isn't supposed to be a recruiting tool right. Um, and you know there's God, there's so many different ways that that you could take what the NCAA has said um, and ways around the rules and lawsuits that they face if they try and enforce some of these rules. But you were um, when Caleb Williams, I, b- I believe that was the quarterback at Oklahoma, entered the transfer portal after Lincoln Riley left, you and I believe it was Charlie Batch and and maybe some of your comrades over there uh, in Ypsilanti um, had, uh, and and I don't know if it was tongue-in-cheek, if it was legit, but you had offered a million bucks if he wanted to come to Eastern Michigan. Yeah, and we thought that was a big number. before all these, you know, 3 4 5 million dollar rumors started coming out,
2: we were like, oh, I don't know if we can get that no, high. Yeah. But no, I mean it was a uh, we 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 viewed it as a chance to, you know, kind of get ahead of the curve when it came to Eastern Michigan and the MAC yep. where we we knew there was probably a 99% chance Caleb Williams wasn't didn't want to come to no, Eastern Michigan, but you right? We created a
1: conversation but about we cre- Eastern.
2: We created a conversation and I think what that let other people know too is that hey, maybe you've never even heard about Eastern Michigan, but hey, look, they're willing to, you know, kind of get in this game a little bit too. So that was kind of our goal. I think we probably went around about it the wrong way. I'm sure there were some violations. I think So I would, that's my question. Did you hear from the NCAA? No, because I, I think because Caleb Williams never responded, and yeah. I think he couldn't respond, right? I yeah. think he's. they probably got lawyers telling them what you can and can't do. But um, we got a little ahead of ourselves. We got excited. We said, hey, let's go make a splash, man. Let's get our name out there. Let these kids know that, you know, we want to be involved in this as well. It's a battle. I mean, it's, you know, just going through different – you know, you talk to coaches, you talk to administrators, you talk to uh, people from the NCAA, and it's just like it's wide open right now. I mean, this thing's taken off so quick and so fast. Like, and I to, to Nick Saban's point, I'm kind of with him on. When is enough enough? You know, at what point is this just going to boil over and just get completely out of control? I don't know what the regulations are uh, that they're going to have to put in place to kind of control this. But um, right now, it's just, I mean, it, it's making a lot of people uncomfortable because- yeah you know, you, you think about college sports and how raw it is and how uh, real it is, right? Just kids going out there and playing for the love of the game and that whole narrative. Um, but it's, college sports a billion dollar industry, right? Okay. It's always been a profession for a lot of people. So um, I have no problem with kids getting money for, um, you know, whatever they deserve, whatever you bring to not only your, your university, but what you can bring to other businesses. I mean, there's You know, there's soccer players that are signing for a ton of money. High school, I think it was high school um, twin sisters, I can't remember the names, but just a couple days ago, signed a deal with Nike, you know? And it's like, well, they can go endorse and make them money. Like, that's just how it should be. So I don't know what the answer is going to be. This thing, I think it's going to continue to keep getting uglier and uglier, um, you know, before uh, before it gets better. But, I mean, they just opened a can of worms right now, and this thing is... I mean, it's like taking the speed limit sign off the highway and everybody's just going 150 right now. How do you get them back to 70 and 80? No. I don't
1: know how you do that. Or you got to come up with some rules. you gotta, you got to you know, reestablish what that speed limit is, and then you got to find a way to enforce it. Uh, and I think that's going to be the big issue is whenever they decide on rules, because the NCAA is made up of its own member institutions, so they're not going to pass a rule that they're not going to follow like it, at least a majority of them now we all know that hey rules have been broken for decades for for a century in terms of you know the NCAA what they've tried to accomplish but they're going to pass rules that they believe that they can either enforce or that are you know somewhat reasonable that they can follow because NIL, the, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and it's going to be interesting to see what road
2: it goes down. Now, you know, an interesting question I get asked all the time, you know, playing at Eastern Michigan was, if this was around back, you know, in, when I was in college, mm-hmm. you know, would I have wanted to, you know, transfer or leave or try to go to a bigger program to make a little bit of money? Yeah. And it's hard to answer because, you you know, I felt like I was so invested at Eastern Michigan, they were the one school that gave me the chance, but on the other hand, hey, if I could have went and started at Michigan or Ohio State for my senior year, like, that kind of would have been hard to turn down, you know what I mean? Like, now that with with all the NIL stuff and the free transfer that you get for that extra, whatever, a free year without sitting out, I mean there's a lot of kids that have to make a lot of tough decisions right now. The transfer portal uh, is kind of a mess. I mean, the NIL stuff is, is, you know, like we said, just flying down the road right now. Um, College football, it's, it's different. The landscape right now is different. All the off the field stuff is different. But the one thing um, that I think a lot of people can agree with is watching the product last year. I mean, it was better in a lot of ways, right? It was better. I don't think the game, I don't think any of this off the field stuff with the money and the transfer portal is going to affect the ultimate product that we see on the field. And that's the bottom line for me. If, if everybody can be happy and everybody can make a little bit of money and the product can still uh, sustain a high level of, of entertainment, um, I think it's beneficial for everybody.
1: Well, I, in in regards to being beneficial for everybody, it's the, the concern is... All right. the universities have, and, and the athletic departments have operated under these set of rules, these set of circumstances for so long, if the dollars go from a donations to the university directly to the athlete. Now, it works out for the athlete. What happens to the athletic departments, especially coming out of a pandemic? Well, I think all of the dollars, they just shift around. The athletic departments are not going to be lacking because the Big Ten – is about to sign a new grant of rights deal, a broadcast deal that is estimated by by those that know a little bit of the workings that is going on between the Big Ten and whether it's ESPN, Fox, Amazon, Apple, uh, you know Netflix, Hulu, all the streaming services, all the networks. They're going to sign a deal that is going to pay them ne- somewhere in the area of $1 billion a year. So instead of that money coming in from donors going to the athletic department and, you know, in a you know perfect world, siphoning down to the benefit of the student-athlete, the student-athlete is going to go into the open market and find out what their value is on name, image, and likeness. They're going to get paid. The athletic department, while they may not be getting the same donor dollars that they got, are going to be getting huge numbers and huge dollars from... These new broadcast deals, so the billion dollars, you know, it adds works out to right around seventy to seventy-five million dollars a year per university in the Big Ten, which is again that will set a record. The billion dollars <laughs> is going to set a record. You know, players are making more money. That sets records. I mean, there's plenty of money to go around. Yeah, and so they're not going to be lacking. No, and I
2: think the the interesting thing now is um, the coaches' perspective, right? I think a lot of coaches out there now, especially maybe at smaller schools, might be uncomfortable with, you know, a player or two making maybe more money than they are, right? But I I talk to coaches all the time, and not just at Eastern, but a lot of other coaches, and I tell them, you know, what is your goal, right? Let's just take... Western Michigan, for example, right? Take their coach. What is your goal? Do you want to be at Western Michigan forever? Most coaches would tell you no. They want to keep climbing the chain. They want to right. climb the ladder. They want to get to a power five school. If the NFL comes calling, I think that's the ultimate goal for a lot of these coaches. Yeah. Well, if you ever get to the NFL, you're going to have to be really comfortable with your quarterback making probably 30 times as much as you. Right. So you better throw that thought right out the window now because, look, it just it, it is what it is, right? And I think the other, the, the last part in this I wanted to hit It was – I think it finally gives kids uh, a chance to balance the scales a little bit, right? How many of these coaches are going and sitting in these 17-, 18-year-old kids' homes and they're making them these promises and, you know, you're going to start, you're going to do this, blah, 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 right? I get it's part of the recruiting and you got to attract players. but And then when kids get to these schools, they find out – it's totally different, right? Like yeah. all that's out the window, right? I'm just another fish in the pond, and I got to work my way upstream. And um, you know, coach lied to me. Whatever it is, it kind of the transfer portal specifically fi- finally kind of gives these kids a chance to, you know, make another decision, right? It gives yep. them maybe a second chance. I think there's a lot of kids that get a lot of bad of advice, though. I mean, you you see a lot of kids that enter the transfer portal, they think they can go to bigger schools you know, they end up leaving a division one scholarship and going down to division two or division three and getting nothing. And it's like, gosh, I feel bad that that a lot of these kids are getting bad advice. But that kind of leads me just into, you know, one thing I was thinking about was when do we start getting like, do you ever think there will be some sort of union or representation in college sports now with money and transfer portal where and maybe even agencies that kind of help these kids out. Well, hey, before you transfer, let me make some calls and see if it's a good idea. Because now it just seems like kids, you know, they want to they want to transfer to go get paid or they want to transfer to go play somewhere else. And out of the what four thousand kids in the portal, there's still like over a thousand unsigned. Right. I mean, you're just giving up a scholarship. At what point is there going to be some sort of representation or agency yeah. that helps these kids out to to make the right decisions? Kind of like college basketball players, where. Hey, you're allowed to declare for the draft, but you kind of feel it out a little bit, right? And then if you, as long as you don't sign with an agent, you can go back. But what's that feel out process going to be for these kids that are getting screwed by entering the transfer portal? Because maybe parents are giving them bad advice, maybe buddies are giving them bad advice. What 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 path do they have?
1: Yeah, both coaches might be giving you bad advice to
2: where they're not ruining their their entire college career.
1: Well, and it 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 it, there are. There are companies in place right now that help on the uh, the football staff side of things, the college side of things, to say, okay, you know, there's there's 100 players in the portal. There's 10 offensive linemen. There's 11 receivers. You, know, you go right down the list of positions. And if a college is looking to say, hey, we need a wide receiver, they can go to these different companies and say, I need a re- wide receiver. I'm looking for a guy that runs. I, I need a speed guy. All right. Right. and or I need a possession receiver. I need a deep threat. I need a big guy. Whatever it is, they can you know sort through it and give them here, okay. Here is what we think is our ten best options for what you are looking for. Right, um, and so they kind of sort through some things. Now on the player side of things, I do think there needs to be somebody that hey, if you are going to enter the transfer portal, that says all right, you know here are. Here are your prospects, not necessarily where you might end up, but how you compare to others that are currently in the transfer portal to know whether it's worth your your while putting your name in the portal or not.
2: Yeah, and because um, a lot of these kids, you know, coaches will tell you as soon as a kid end, enters the portal, they're not welcome back, yeah. right? So if you leave, you know, Michigan – and you think you're going to go play at another you, Big you, Ten you school, and you don't, your scholarship's not here, and you're getting a Division Two offers and or one double A's and you say, "Ah, this didn't work out." I'll just <laughs> Michigan's like, "Now <"Nah." laughs> you left, dude." Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And I'm not calling them out individually. I'm just saying, no, just yeah, on the whole, I think a lot of co- a lot of colleges are like that. You leave, you put your you put your name in the portal, you're forfeiting your scholarship, and guess what? If we fill it, we fill it. Right. So I think that's where a lot of uh, and it's unfortunate, too. I mean, you know, a lot of these kids are 18, 19 year old kids with a pretty bright future. And I mean, do you want to see them, you know, lose their whole college career over one mistake? That's what I don't. Right. So that's why I just kind of thought of there's got to be some sort of process to help them out with that decision making.
1: Well, to to just bow on it, it is an opportunity. They've empowered the student athlete that if they made a decision at 17 or 18, that is not working out for them, their initial decision to go to school and where they decided to go to school, coach they want to play for, assistant coach they want to position coach, uh, teammates, that's not working out. They do have the power without having to sit out, without having to, you know, take a penalty of transferring. So hopefully that second decision is better for them individually than the first. Now, whether they need to make that decision or not, I guess that remains to be seen. Now, at the top of this uh, of this podcast, we mentioned that we were going to talk the the Detroit Lions, and we're going to focus a lot on the Detroit Lions moving forward. Uh, but the schedule came out since our last podcast, and we now know we knew who they were going to play, we knew where they were going to play the home and away games, but we just didn't know the order of which they were going to play. And it makes a difference in some of these opponents, I think, when you face them, whether it's new coach, new quarterback, young coach, young quarterback, um, as to when they're going to play. They're going to open up with the Philadelphia Eagles. Week two, they're at home again against the Washington Commanders. How, does the, how do the Detroit Lions start this season off? Uh, one and
2: one. I think you and I think you have to, uh, especially that now that everybody's expecting that next step. Um, can't start the season knowing 2 you, know, no. you just can't. Uh, Philly, I think, is going to be a tough one. I think we talked about it last week. You know, we brought up Dallas and Philly uh, out coming out of the we- or coming out of the NFC East. There, um, I think Philly could be a sleeper team. Um, you know, they were already a wild card team last year. Uh, added a couple pieces. I mean, they just signed Bradbury, who you're going to add another playmaker to the defensive mm-hmm. backfield, AJ Brown is um, obviously a very dynamic receiver uh, in his own regard. So I think Philly is going to be a tough one. Um, and I'm not really expecting them to win that only because I think Philly has a chance to be really good this year, but when you talk about Washington coming in with Carson Wentz, um, I mean his career has obviously been heavily scrutinized. Yes. Uh, who knows? I mean, I don't know. He had some success last year in India uh, when he went to Indy, yeah. um, but you know, I, I just look at that as a win. I do. I think. Uh, I think that's a team that you should be expected to beat. And. Yeah. Honestly, if they played Washington last year, I would have expected them to beat Washington last year. Um, but you know, I I, I think this I, I think it gives them a good chance to get two home games to start the season. It sets you up uh, for a little bit of early season momentum. If you can stay at that 500 mark, which would be 1-1 and before you start to get into a couple of these road games and a couple of these division uh, games at Minnesota, Chicago, not not too far behind that. So I I would definitely be a little disappointed if it wasn't 500 coming out of that two-game stretch.
1: So last year they failed to win a game on the road. This year their first road game is going to be a division opponent. It's up in Minnesota uh, in week three. You think they can go up there and get a win?
2: I do. I expect them to split the season uh, series with Minnesota and Chicago. Um now whether those come on the home or come on the road or, or come at home, um, I don't know. But I, I do expect them to at least split uh one and one with Minnesota at worst. And last year we obviously saw them going to Minnesota and and, and you know, play a really good last couple minutes before the last couple plays and lose on a long field goal Um, the second time that happened which was a killer but no I do I I think that uh, I, I don't know I can't sit here confidently and say I expect them to go in there and win But I definitely expect them to go in there and compete, especially you talk about you start to get into week three, week four, um, right? A lot of these rookies, you're going to have two games under your belt. You're going to have a lot of preseason snaps under your belt. That's when I think the rust starts to shake off a little bit for a young team that's going to be relying on a lot of young talent to step up. Um, That's probably the point where you expect to see some young guys maybe start to take that step. So I don't I mean, I can't sit here and tell you I I think they're going to
1: win that, but I, I definitely expect them to compete. So, uh, okay, we'll, we'll we'll come up with a number at the end. I just want to continue to go through this schedule. If anybody hasn't seen the schedule yet, um, and, and I want to ask you one more thing about that Minnesota game. They didn't win any on the road last year. How important will it be for them to get a road victory and get a road victory early in this schedule?
2: Yeah, it'd be good for your momentum and just your overall psyche, right? I think a lot of guys probably have uh, – some maybe resonating PTSD from last season, being able to not close any of out on the road. And, and they were in a lot of those games, too. I mean, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Minnesota, those are all close games. So um, it would be good. It would be really good for their just the, the mental uh, aspect of it, knowing that you can go on the road and, and knock off a division rival, I think will definitely help add momentum to an early season season. Uh, Get off to a fast
1: start. I think it's important, um, and I'm just going to inject one little thought here, that they would get that win, that first road victory um, division opponent on the road against Minnesota because they will then come home and play the Russell Wilson-less Seattle Seahawks. But then they've got two road opponents with a bye week sandwiched in between at New England and at the Dallas Cowboys. So touch on real quick that Seattle game, but then the the road trips – To New England and to Dallas.
2: I mean, I think Seattle would have to show me a lot in the first three weeks for me to think that Detroit wouldn't be able to beat them. Um, obviously a lot of changes, especially at the quarterback position, but Seattle's just not losing Bobby Wagner. I mean, it's just they've lost a lot of yeah. really big lead dogs that they've had for a long time there, so it's going to take them a long time uh, to adjust. So, uh, Seattle would have to show me a lot in the first three weeks for me to say, oh, okay, maybe this one might be close, but no, I, I definitely expect Detroit to win one, especially at home. Anytime you get a West Coast opponent coming out East playing the 1 o'clock game, Right. That's really 10 a.m. on their time clock. So uh, you got to get off to a fast start against those teams. New England, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what we saw last year, right? A lot of good, a lot of bad. And then they get blown out in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, it was just kind of, I don't know. I think, I, is New England one of those teams that's primed to take that next step? Um, as far as going from you know maybe the wild card to maybe challenging for the division or or you know going into the third week of the playoffs, I, I don't think so. Um, but I I could be wrong. I I expect that to a game to be a game they can compete in at least. Um, and when you talk about Dallas, I mean, I expect them to compete in that too. I don't know that might be a uh, that might be a tough stretch just with going on the road two out of the three weeks, right? You have a bye kind of sandwiched in there in between those two games, which is nice. But um, New England, I I think they have a chance to kind of go in there. It's an opponent that... Nope, you're not familiar with them, they're not familiar with you. You only play every four years, right? You always see yep. kind of some of those inner um conference or the the AFC NFC games. There's always a couple where you're just like, Whoa, like no idea, right? But I think Detroit's got a chance to compete against New England. I do, and they could maybe come out of there with a win. I w- that wouldn't surprise me, but when it comes to Dallas, I think that's going to be a tough one. I mean, obviously, you're coming off a bye week, and sometimes it Takes a little while to get the juices going again right uh, after, uh, especially uh, an early season bye, which stinks. I mean... See, I always like the early season bye. I I like splitting it up, man. I think the perfect bye was like week 10. I like getting nine or 10 games out of the way, take a break, come back, finish strong with the six, because now you got to go what? You got to go five, break, and then you just got to go 12 straight, rip them off. I mean... That's
1: that kind of yeah, stinks. The thing about the Lions' schedule, though, is with the Thanksgiving Day game, which they'll play the Bills right, this you year. Get the mini buy, it's yeah, a mini buy. That's so a good if point. you get one at Week Five, then you get one. You know, Week what? What is it? Twelve or thirteen? I forget which weekend uh, the the Thanksgiving Day falls on. But um, it kind of gives you almost that double buy, and it's you know, equidistance from the front of the schedule to the end of the schedule.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of an advantage. I I will say that. I I forgot about that, the Thanksgiving Day games. But let me interject real quick. What was one thing that, as a player, when the schedule came out, what were maybe one or two things that you looked at?
1: Um I always looked at the away games which we you know we knew before we are going in but when we were going to have them because I wanted to know which restaurants I wanted to go to <laughs> start making Saturday. reservations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Where's the best steak in the NFL? Yeah. Um, which we'll cover at another show but um that was the first thing and then it was you know how many back-to-back games did I have on turf? Yeah. Um you know what how many dome games, how many cold games because I remember in um you know 2002 um, you know right after September 11 or 2001 sorry is when we played Green Bay and that year that ended up being it was a Monday night game after you know the the week that was off for September 11 that ended up being our coldest game of the year Um, we had Arizona was supposed to be that next week. That was postponed. It was put uh, at the very end of the schedule. But we played them in D.C. And it was, I don't know, it might have been raining, but it was like 50 degrees. Yeah. So I always looked at, one, the restaurants that I could get to uh, on the away games, when we were going to have those, and also you know the the playing surface and the possible weather conditions that we'd be playing in. You? Yeah,
2: you played on some bad playing surfaces oh, back I mean, in the late nineties, yeah. early 2000s. Oh, man, I mean, the, the Meadowlands oh, was
1: boy. awful. The Silver Dome with their turf, and and That's the worst rough. was the Vet. Oh, um, yeah. you know it was it, that was where you know there were a couple of games that were canceled I never was a part of one of those um, but preseason games canceled other games postponed until they got the the field right uh, but yeah that was that was miserable what'd you look yeah. at when you I, saw the schedule
2: I the first thing I always looked at was the bye when's the bye and like I just said I, I preferred a late bye yeah. right week 10 week 11 um Uh, I just prefer the late ones, right? Mm -hmm. Just so you can kind of split the season up in half. That was always beneficial. Second thing I looked at was primetime games, right? How many do we have? Are we on the road for a bunch? Are we at home for a bunch? Right? Because primetime games, look, players, you don't really get excited for those, especially on the road. Like no. it's just, it's, it's a just long day sitting at the hotel. Back. It's a late flight back. You're not getting in a lot of times till early Monday morning. Right? It just kind of throws your whole week off. So uh, that was the second thing I looked for. And then, like you said, the third thing I looked for was turf games. Um, you know, which, which stadiums are we playing at that the turf's going to be beat up? Right? There's no. a couple of years we went to Oakland, and it's like. Okay, we're not going there till November though, so they should at least have the infield filled in, right? We're not playing on on yeah. dirt, um, so you you always looked at a lot of those things, and I, I think a lot of people don't understand that turf for the big guys like that wears you out, man. You feel it. You feel it. Probably, I mean, for me, if I had to put a percentage on it, I'd say I was probably fifty to sixty percent more sore after a turf game than I was playing on grass.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it depended on. Like what time of your career you were doing? Right,
2: that. hips, back, joints, everything. That turf is just it's firm, right? So it just kind of throws a little, lot more, a uh, lot more stress on your joints. But that was one thing that I, I, I actually defended Coach Patricia about this because he used to take a lot of when, you know, lines were out practicing outside in December and it's 15 degrees out there and yeah. people didn't understand and I'm like, guys, like, he it's does grass. it for the big guys. It's grass. It's soft. Like, it's better for your joints to go out there on a Thursday and be on the grass than it is to spend two hours in the indoor on turf because the big guys are going to feel it for a couple days. So, that was something that uh, Coach Patricia did really well that I've always defended him for. But those were my three things. Bi-week, primetime games, turf games. And I had one One year, that was awesome. I can't remember which year it was, but I think we ended up playing, out of the 16 games, we only played one turf game. And it was, I think it was at Minnesota. It was a division game because Chicago was obviously grass, Green Bay was grass, and the other away games just happened to be uh, grass fields. And it was like, I mean, we were celebrating in the locker room. We were looking at it yeah. like, yes, dude. And you obviously know your opponents beforehand. You sure. just don't know the the round. but that was a great year, man. We had one turf game and it was absolutely oh. magical. It's probably the healthier offensive line was. I'm in sure. A long time. No question.
1: <laughs> um, and so I know a lot of people have seen the schedule and I'm going to, I'm going to speed through it just a little bit. So we don't make it a labor, uh, in terms of 17 games. We've talked about everything up to the to, to the road trip of the Cowboys. You've got two games after that that are at home, Miami Green Bay, two more on the road, Chicago and the New York Football Giants. You got the Bills game, which is a Thanksgiving special. Jags, Vikings, all three of those games are at home. You go on the road for two more, the New York Jets at Carolina, and then two division opponents to finish out the schedule, one at home against the Bears and then on the road at Green Bay. Of the remaining, you know, what, 10 games, 11 games that we didn't already talk about, which one are you most excited about? What's the most winnable? What's the most losable?
2: Winnable, I would have to say, either one of the Chicago games. Well, I mean, gosh, you got a lot of them. Yeah, you, got you got the, the Jets. You got the Jags. Jeez. Um, okay, most winnable, Jaguars. Yeah, you get them the at, home, at home, right? Yeah. It's in December. I mean, obviously, Ford Field's an indoor venue, but Jacksonville having to come up north and deal with it probably going to be cold travel December yeah. travel, um, and you know, I just don't really expect them to be very good again, so I, I would put that as the most winnable game, um, and then look, I think the toughest game, I don't think any surprise, Buffalo coming in on Thanksgiving, I think what Buffalo did last year, um, they were one play away from being a Super Bowl team. You know, and I think if they were in the Super Bowl, they probably would have won that. So I think that's obviously going to be a tough one. But uh, the good part is, right? I think you 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 do have an advantage anytime you play a Thursday game. Uh, This one especially, since it's twelve thirty, you have an advantage being the home team because you don't have to worry about the travel, you don't have to worry about getting on the plane, staying at the hotel, doing all like just throwing off your comfort zone. So um, that's always a good game where it feels like if you can get off to a fast start as the home team, like you can maybe surprise a lot of people, but I think Buffalo's just really damn good team. And I I mean, I'd kind of put that as a as a tie with uh, week eighteen at Green Bay. I think that's obviously going up there in January. Um, is just a hellacious place to play. Uh, probably going to be a lot on the line, at least for the Packers. And look, if the could Lions be a playoff like, spot on the line for the Lions, what I'm saying. I mean, that's that could be a game that has a lot of implications. So, um, but Green Bay at home to close the season out uh in January. That's going to be a tough game, but. Um, you know, I think uh, when you look at it, man, it, it's. I know you can't really rely on, you know, the strength of schedule based off of last year because every team's going to be different. There's going to be some playoff teams last year that are going to suck, and there's going to be some teams that sucked last year that are going to be playoff teams this year. It's just how we go, it's how it goes. So you can't really sit here and say confidently that, wow, they've got a great schedule. Look how weak it is, man. We play the Giants, play the Jets, play the Jaguars. Yeah. Uh, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Some of those teams it are going to be really damn good. Yeah. So um, football's tough, man. I- I'm excited to see how this thing's going to shake out. But uh, I tell you what, just sitting here right now, man, I-, I none of that optimism is left. I know a couple weeks ago, I, I kind of got on that eight-win train. I talked my way up to maybe nine. Like, that hasn't gone away, so I'm still (laughs) kind of feeling pretty (laughs) good. We'll see how this thing starts (laughs) off here in a couple months, but that optimism is, is definitely still high.
1: All right. Well, we will continue to talk a lot of Detroit Lions football over the course of this offseason. We've got rookie minicamp that's go, uh, that that's already happened. We've got OTAs happening. There's still gonna be some some movement on the roster. Uh, we've seen that already. There's still some big names out there that that are trying to find a home. We'll see if the roster if, if the Lions are in play for any of those big name free agents. So stay tuned in here for all your Detroit Lions information on necessary roughness.